Real people. Real opinions. Real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits. Now, speaking of the COVID and COVID-19, uh, there's an open letter online called Crush the Curve. And I suppose it's a different approach to how we deal with this going forward in the future. I mean, and how do we deal with COVID-19? At the moment, of course, well, we've said all along, it's all well and good for the... I do apologise. Siri on my phone, on my back pocket there, for some reason decided she'd get involved in the conversation. But yes, the government have said all along, well, the best thing to do is a lockdown. I don't think we everybody agreed with that. But all along we had said, well, what's the exit plan? It's easy to lock down a country, but it's much more difficult to reopen it again. So how do you reopen it? Do you just go, let's take our chances and go for it? Do you go, let's reopen with a new normal where we all stay two metres apart? Or do you say, let's be a bit of an outlier? and basically suppress the virus in our country like New Zealand. But then we're left in a situation where we're waiting for a vaccine before we can, I suppose, open our doors to tourism uh, without quarantine. So it's all very complicated. And to give me more information on this particular open letter, Crush the Curve, and this plan, I suppose, is Professor Gerald Killeen, who's an infectious disease ecologist at UCC. Good afternoon to you, Gerald. Good afternoon, Niall. How are you doing? Jared? you know, there are so many opinions out there. Now, I know yourself and Anthony Staines and also uh, Thomas Ryan, who is also an associate professor at School of Biochemistry and Immunology at Trinity College as well, have been involved in this. Which, by the way, is there one in particular who, is, who wrote this or was, was it just kind of a joint effort? Well, I guess we, a few of us had been chatting to each other for quite some time and mm. Anthony kind of took the lead on writing that down. But you can see there's an awful lot of people on that, that list um, well, now, some, of them, some of them have credibility. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of us who see things the same way. Yeah, I, I'm without a shadow of doubt. There's a, a few hundred signatures there, signatories, should I say. Now, a lot of them do have credibility. And according to the Irish Times, by the way, thousands of people with credibility. But then some of them, in fairness, mother with two kids and somebody else was unemployed. Actually, somebody had down for occupation to get rid of COVID, which I thought was kind of an interesting <laughs> occupation. That's his mission in life. I think, I think those people are very qualified because this. Well, I, well, well am I anybody qualified? Can do the math on this. Anybody can do the math on this and figure it out for themselves. Absolutely. And, uh, there's lots of intelligent people in this country who've been asking very reasonable questions, and it's time they got some answers. Okay, so but the, the plan at the moment seems to be to try and do a balancing act whereby we open businesses with a limited capacity, which we all know economically is not going to work. So at some point, we'll have to become complacent again and go back to the old normal so we can all get back to business. But then we have a risk of, well, I know the WHO said there won't be a second wave, but certainly we don't know whether it's seasonal. We don't, we look, we just don't know, I suppose, is the, is the future there. Your plan is that we have a bit more sacrifice, I suppose, for a few weeks is what you talk about whereby, like New Zealand, we can suppress the virus. Now, you talk about other countries, and I'll come to them in a few minutes. Um, and thereby, I suppose, we have suppressed the, the virus in our country. But does that leave us in a situation then where we're kind of isolated? Well, actually, it might put us into a very nice club. The nice thing is, you know, um, once you have... Uh, once you, you don't even need to be, have eliminated the virus. You just need to be on the same plan. So, for example, Norway and Denmark... People can travel freely between those two countries because they're on the same plan, they're heading in the same direction, and they don't pose a threat to each other. Whereas they both locked out Sweden because 
Um, Sweden had a different yeah. plan, of course. Yeah, Sweden has a has a tragically different plan. Well, you, well, you're saying tragically. Now, I know they themselves have said, well, maybe we should have done things slightly differently, but they do have an elderly population, Jared, and it was likely that they were going to have more debts similar to the UK, who have an elderly population more so than us. So it was likely they were going to have more debts anyway. You would have imagined they would have had a lot more, considering they didn't have a lockdown, wouldn't you? Well, to start with, Sweden is only beginning their adventure on the path that they're on, as, as, as all countries are. You know, there are very few countries in the world that are more than 10% of the way through this. So there's a lot ahead of Sweden if they continue with their existing plan. And just to get things into context, with their existing plan, Sweden already has as many fatalities as China. Now, China is a country of 1.3, 1.4 billion people, and it's the only country in the world that had no warning that was hit, you know, with absolutely no prior warning or, or and no prior information. Uh, so there's, you know, uh, whatever the age distribution, you know, the number of old people in China is uh, a lot more than Sweden. And then if you look at somewhere like Hong Kong, you know, Hong Kong has a border with China, difficult relations with China, and yet they've had zero fatalities in their care homes. And they've had, well, that's where we um, failed miserably, by the way, in our care homes, and we should have done more to do that. But let's let's look at the letter. Now, I'm not going to read out the whole letter. People can go on to crushthecurve.ie if you want to read the whole open letter. But let's just look, pick some of it. Okay. Uh, the first line, the first paragraph suggests, because of a timely response, uh, the island of Ireland has managed to bring the COVID epidemic under control. Do you think we brought it under control, or do you think it brought itself under control? It certainly didn't bring itself under control. And if you want to see, you know, what things will look like if we don't get rid of this thing, you can take a look at Nicaragua. You know, take a look at the international news. Use CNN, use Al Jazeera, look at Nicaragua, look at Brazil, uh, look at, um, you know... Uh, well, they would, they would be countries with different... I suppose, um, I suppose, culturally, sanitization wouldn't be top of their list, or never was. Well, you can also look at Namibia. Well, they, they, well, first of all, Latin America. Is I'm not, by the way, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm, I'm just, yeah, I, you know, I, and when you when you go as a tourist to Latin America, often they they, they look at as Europeans as mm. having you know, poor sanitary habits by the standards that they're used to. But okay, um, but the, the point was, Jared, did we do a good job considering that Ireland, if you look at debts, debts per million, for example, we're, we're kind we, of right up in the top 10 there somewhere. Absolutely, totally agreed. And that's where, you know, we can't undo all those decisions, but, we, you know, to repeat them is... is, 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 is where did, where so did we fail, do you think, Jared? Did we fail to not focus on the people who we... Because let's be clear about it, this virus is ageist. We know that. So did we fail to protect those who are the most vulnerable in care homes? We knew that from Spain and Italy and everything else. And yet we allowed visitors where the care homes had already said, listen, we're going to restrict visiting. And the chief medical officer and Simon Harris and the government said, no, actually let them back in again, the visitors. So did we fail there in doing that in the early stages? We did, and and I would make a, a longer list. You know, we were too slow to respond now, just to compare, Namibia, for example, has had 25 cases and zero deaths. You know, and that's not a rich place. Mm-hmm. Um, the, but, you know, the, there's only so much you can do to protect care homes and hospitals if there's transmission in the community. So the real solution there is what the rest of us do. You know, there's some people who have to go to work, um, and they need to be looked after, and they, we need to protect them. But for them to be safe, you know, whether it's the, the special needs kids who need to go back to school, 
or the people living in care homes or our cocooners, like my dad, or, you know, the, the healthcare workers, they need the rest of us to get rid of this virus so that they can safely do live their lives and, 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 and do the things that they do for all of us. Okay, uh, next bit. It says, uh, all this has come at a huge cost to our Ireland. Enormous sums of money have been spent. Well, they reckon overall this is probably going to cost the state £40 billion. But anyway, many people have lost jobs. Many businesses wonder, will they be able to reopen again? I suppose we're talking about, you know, the financial cost as well. But there's not just the financial cost. We postpone cervical cancer screening. We postpone mammograms. We postpone elective surgeries. Uh, the hospitals, I personally know a nurse who's been in a hospital for 20 years, one of the major hospitals in this country. She said they've never been quieter. So thankfully, there was no pressure really ever put on the hospitals. But she said she's concerned about people who should be there, you know, who may have heart disease, stroke, all those things. We've seen a massive reduction. And in England, they've quantified this at 5,000 deaths every six months in the long term of people who have undiagnosed cancers alone. Is that something that we should be concerned about? Absolutely it is. Absolutely it is. And that's where we need to be clear about what um, living with the virus would actually mean. So living with the virus means that instead of finishing off Mike Tyson at the end of the first round, we go back into our corner and then we get ready for another 14 rounds. Because if you look at the best projections of you know where this will go, if you don't get rid of it, you know we can look at you can look you know, we, you can basically expect another he's 10 12 waves similar to the one we've been through before this epidemic would burn itself out but so, I, but will it burn itself out Jerry? because some of the best experts uh, in the world well, similar to yourself you know as equally qualified has said it may never go away we may never get a vaccine it could be like influenza not that i'm comparing it it could stay around for 50 or 60 years, 100 years. Swine flu has been around since the 70s. Uh, a lot of these other viruses have been around. A lot of them we've never even got a vaccine for. Well, that's my concern too. And so uh, that's why, you know, that's why the world jumps on um, emerging infections like this as fast as it can. That's why previous outbreaks of this nature have been eliminated because the alternative doesn't bear thinking about and uh, I would expect that if we allow it to persist, it will become a permanent part of our health landscape. And um, that's really some. And okay. I've, I've, lived, okay. I, I've I, lived with these things. I, I, I don't recommend it. Uh, the path we choose will determine our future uh, for years to come. Our current policy is to live with the virus and under a long-term uh, mitigation strategy with the risk of future surges and lockdowns until uh, when or if a vaccine becomes available. In other words, you believe we're too reliant on the idea of a vaccine. But, um, but I suppose this plan... Your plan, in some sense, does rely as well on a vaccine. Or basically, if a vaccine never comes along or we don't have herd immunity, we're going to be limited to only playing ball with countries who adopt the same strategy that you're suggesting. No, not necessarily. So, um, I mean, obviously, the way we, we trade and travel will have to change, you know, for, for at least the medium-term future. But you can do things like... When um, you say the medium-term future, I'm sorry for interrupting you, but when you say the medium-term future... If, by our own admission, and we suggested a minute ago, the virus may never go away, it could be seasonal. We don't know yet. These, all these things are unchartered, right? So well, I'm, I'm talking about getting rid of it. 
Oh, no, but, but, but you're only talking about getting rid of it in countries who adopt this strategy. There are many countries who are going to go, sure, I have no idea who Thomas J. Ryan is or Professor Jared Gillian. We're not going with that strategy. We're going with a let's get out there and sure just get it strategy. So well, there are... Take a look what's happening. Take oh, a look at what's happening in those countries. Okay, you know, but what I'm uh, saying is we can never avoid the fact that those countries are doing that. So are we then restricting ourselves from ever playing ball with those countries when it comes to, say, tourism? Say, well, let's take the obvious. Let's take the United Kingdom in America. Um, let's say they don't adopt this strategy. United Kingdom were hit hard with dense populations around London and Birmingham, Manchester and all those major cities. America hit hard in places like New York where you had dense populations as well. And they are, they're not going to adopt this strategy. It would never work in America. So the Americans would never put up with that kind of carry on. So realistically, are we then restricting ourselves from tourism, say, from major countries like United Kingdom and America? Well, you know, I, I think I learned a lot from the fact that the Greeks um, made that decision in relation to us. You know, we, we're not welcome in Greece at present because we don't have our epidemic under sufficient control. The, um, but I'll give you an example of solutions that are already happening all around the world. No, no, no. I don't, just, let, let's just stick to, yeah, but can, can I stick to that point, Jared? I think it's important because yeah, I so agree so with your plan. You can already get tested for COVID on your way in or your way out. On the Ugandan border, so Uganda has done a fine job of um, clamping down on this and Right at the moment, a very long queue of trucks that have come in from Kenya with all the imported goods they need, and every driver has to be tested on arrival. You know, for years there have been countries where you will be tested on arrival for um, pathogens that they're very vulnerable to. Like, for example, Mauritius. If you were to fly from the malaria endemic country to Mauritius, you'll be tested at the airport. So it's not new. It's doable. There are solutions. And, you know, if you ask me, I would say we just need to get on with working out those Okay, and I, I understand what you're saying. And world. by the way, Jared, I am not, you know, dissing the plan. I, I think the plan itself is a great strategy, right? And I think it would work for us as an independent nation, as it did for New Zealand, which is essentially what they did in New Zealand, right? And they're now in a situation where they're COVID-free uh, and they yeah, have this kind of air bridge between them and Australia. But they are limited do you, you know, who they can let in? Because you're always going to be conscious then of one person. And it only takes one person to start it all again. And you know that as well as I do. Um, okay, uh, people will once again feel confident in using public transport, returning to school, going out to eat, to shop. Pressure on the uh, healthcare system will be relieved. I, I think I covered that already when I said that I don't think we ever really had that pressure. The pres- pre- pressure that was predicted never happened. I mean, we never had ICUs out the door. If you want to talk about ICUs under pressure, go back to, say, 2017, 2018, October to January flu season. They were crying out for the government to support them for, with ventilators and everything else. They couldn't get it. So we, we never really had that, did we? No, thanks be to God. And, um, but I hope people have seen enough from New York. And, you know, um, t- take a look at some of the footage um, from Brazil, Nicaragua, um, you know, we have an internationalised family, so we've lost several friends and family uh, over the last few months in countries that um, that, that didn't manage to mm-hmm. to throw a, a fire blanket on this one. So, uh, you know, even New York is estimated to be less than 20% of the way through its, through its full epidemic course. So, you know, we've all seen the, the refrigerator trucks and we've seen the mass graves. So... If that's the road we take, and I'm not, and this is where... I mean, we, we would have had that if we had a population of, the, but, but now, Jared, with respect, we would have had that with our plan initially if we had had a population of 340 million people. We would have had exactly the same thing because our debt rate per head of population is actually still higher than America. 
we're get, you know, we'll, we will get there if we don't. I'll put it this way. You know, if you take the lid off this and you let it take its natural course, that's where we're going to find ourselves. You know, whether it's, you know, how quick uh, is, you know, you know that's, none of us are 100% sure about that, but I'd prefer we really don't find out. See, I suppose, you know, I mean, right now you mentioned that public transport is planning for a 20% of normal capacity, pubs, restaurants, 30% capacity, schools at best, 50%, the cost of childcare already high, will be impossible for many, workplaces will need expensive redesign. I'm not disagreeing with that's exactly what the plan of the government is at the moment, which, and I know businesses are meeting with the government on a regular basis this week uh, with the Oireachtas Committee to talk about this very fact that this is just not doable. It just won't work. It can't work because business couldn't sustain itself. But was and is the redesign really necessary in the first place? Because is there not an argument that we need or a debate that we need to have, um, and a logical debate, not an emotional one, um, about the fact as human beings that we, throughout time, have took risks. When we, we take a risk when we walk out onto the street, when we touch a surface, when we interact with other human beings, when we are in a room and somebody coughs. I mean, is, is there not an argument there or some debate there that, we have to just get on with it. And that at some point, and from what we believe at the moment, that if you get this, we don't know how long the immunity lasts. We don't know if there's going to be more strains like the flu, for example, which kind of has multiple strains in the future. But we just have to deal with those things as we go on. Well, I, um, I mean, those are considerations we always take into... And that, that's always in, in the, the equation. I'm used to working in very low, under-resourced... Um, settings and you know every decision you make is like that. You know, those are all the considerations you have to bear in mind. But when you look at the stark, the stark realities of this particular virus, you know those numbers are just so much bigger. Well, we, were, we, mean, we were given exaggerated numbers at the start. The WHO were suggesting a five percent mortality rate at the very start of this, and the Irish government kind of went along with that. Those figures well, our, from Ferguson in the UK were mental. Six percent. When you're basing it on case fatality. I'm talking about the actual mortality rate of this particular virus, and it's now suggested is, by by Tony Hancock in the UK suggests it's less than half of one percent. No, it's, it's the global average is one point three, so one point three percent of the population. That's based on testing, isn't it? Uh, that no, that no, figure you're using is based on testing. No, that's also allowing for the fact that you don't pick up all the cases. So you know, one point three percent of four point eight million people is in the region of sixty thousand people. All right, okay. Okay, you, you, you also got to say um, that I suppose that countries, several countries have already adopted this, uh, I suppose, strategy and halted the virus, including South Korea, New Zealand, Austria, um, Australia, Greece, China and Iceland. Uh, and others may jump on board as well. But then again, I come back to the first point. We are restricted in, you know, basically doing seamless business, I suppose, in tourism and other things with those countries then, aren't we, by, by doing this until we get to a point where there is a vaccine or if there is a vaccine. Uh, or we eliminate it or we have testing procedures in place. So, yeah, those are sacrifices we will have to make, uh, but there are also solutions out there. And this is not the first, um, this is not the first emerging pathogen that had to be contained. You know, the, the story that I... Um, thrilled about and that most people haven't paid attention to enough is that the people of the Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo, who didn't have an easy life at the best of times, are about two or three days away from the end of their Ebola outbreak. So in a, a couple of days, they their outbreak is over 
and they can return to normal life. Now, if those folks can find their way out of an Ebola outbreak, I think, you know, we all owe it to ourselves. Well, Ebola is a very different situation. I mean, look, it's, it's certainly a higher mortality rate and those who get it usually end up in hospital. So, thankfully, don't have too much of a chance to spread it. I imagine the or not on Ebola, you would know better than I, is probably quite low because those who get it are symptomatic and end up in hospital, so don't get to spread it to too many people. So it is, it's, it's easier to contain, isn't it? It, 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 it also, yeah, it doesn't... Ebola terrifies people, which... Um, of course, like TB did, going back 100 years ago. Yeah, which has advantages in that it tends to generate consensus fairly fast. But the reproductive rate is in the same range, and the, the interventions are not very different. I mean... I, I understand the plan. I think everybody would love a situation whereby, and I think we'd be all happy to sacrifice and wear masks, although we're kind of sick of the, the mask argument at this stage because it kind of went to wear masks, don't wear masks, wear masks, don't wear masks. Even Luke O'Neill was suggesting to us in the air that in the early stages that it would be pointless wearing masks. Now he's obviously advocating them. So I know that the, the, the opinions on masks keeps changing all the time, whether they're good or they're bad, and it's kind of hard to know, who's, you know whose advice you should take on the masks at this stage. But if we all went down that route, and wore the masks, I can see the plan and why it would work. And absolutely. But my biggest concern is, is that you're relying on the fact that it's a short, I think it's a short-term plan. Because unless you're willing to go on holidays to other countries who adopt the same strategy, we're kind of snookered. We're going to go back to square one. And also, when we look at haulage, for example, uh, most of our business is done with the UK. Unless they adopt the same plan, we're snookered. You're relying on Northern Ireland. Um, and let's be clear about it, they've never agreed with anything we've ever done before. And I don't know, you know, if you've talked to, you know, Dr. Michael McBride, who's the Chief Medical Officer of Northern Ireland, about would he be interested? Has, has he expressed an interest in this plan, Jared? Well, I, I, think, um, I think it's very interesting. The UK situation is particularly interesting and, and illustrative. Like, um, although for political reasons, you know, you might not be able to say that as such. Basically, the north of Ireland is much, close, much more closely aligned with ourselves than it is with... Um, yeah, okay, yeah. They're, England. Yeah, they're, you know, they're not following Scotland, the UK strategy, I know that. Yeah, yeah. Scotland, well then, you know, what's the UK? So Scotland, Wales, and even the mayors of Northern England all kind of went rebel on this stay alert business. They said, you know, thanks very much, but we'll stay at home. Um, and then you had a situation where the Welsh police were arresting, uh, or at least stopping, tourists coming over the border um, and finding people entering Snowdonia National Park. So... You know, so there is, it's easier to get, you know, there's more alignment out there than we might imagine. Um, there are other countries dealing with the same issues. But has I Dr. Mean, Michael McBride, has he, is he, because I didn't look, is he a signatory on this? Uh, I'm not sure. Because, I because I, all the way through the article, you mentioned the island of Ireland. So we would have to have an agreement from their chief medical officer, obviously, and, and Sinn Féin and the DUP, who've never agreed on anything. So we would have to have their agreement because it would never work realistically unless we could get the whole island to agree to it. Well, um, pointless, wouldn't it? Well, there are, there are border controls. I mean, people do move goods. Goods can move without people. You can exchange drugs. Yeah, you, I, you're, Jared, you're not suggesting that we had two guards up there in Uri stopping people going back and forwards. That's never going to work. Well, that'll uh, start a whole political argument. <laughs> other countries do it all the time. And well, I don't think know. other countries have the tensions between the south and the north that we've had. And I think. 
the day that a Garda Shea stands on the M1 with his hand up at Newry and says you're not going in there or the opposite way around I think we'll end up in a lot of trouble by the way just news coming in the World Health Organisation Maria Van uh, Kerkhoff has just said now the transmission of the coronavirus by asymptomatic people is very rare and this has been reported on Bloomberg have you seen that news? Uh, I haven't seen that piece of news yet um, going back to the borders I would say take a look at the borders that Uganda has <laughs> you know and ask yourself um, you know there, there are countries out there that have bigger I'm, I'm not un, I'm not underestimating the size of these challenges but there are other it's a huge it's a huge challenge bigger, Jared with these, I, I totally agree and that's why we, we've just got to get on with it <sighs> Yeah, I, I, I mean, I go back to, I had a professor on here, I can't remember his name last week, from Oxford University, and he was an immunologist, and he was also an oncologist. And he spoke about a story about a woman that he had seen in Tesco's. And I suppose it's just an analogy, but he said she was a 40-year-old woman and she had a mask on. And he said, I'm assuming she was in good health, and let's assume for the purpose of the, of the, the point she was in good health. He said she was dodging people like a ninja around the supermarket. And he said, realistically and statistically, she has more chance of dying in a car accident going to the shop than she would of getting COVID-19 and dying. And he said the point was that he agreed with the lockdown and he agreed with all the precautions that we were taking. But he says at some point we have to turn around and say we have to accept that we have a virus, that unfortunately we need to protect the most vulnerable, which we should be doing, those people in care homes, and making sure we have testing for people who work there and, and making sure we have testing available for those people who really need it. But at some point... The rest of the population, i.e. those under the age of 65, and the majority of whom would be healthy, or assumed so, need to get back to doing what we do. Otherwise, we, we risk despair, loneliness, isolation, and people losing their businesses and jobs, which in, in, well, in turn can cause more deaths. Well, if you, know, so, if you go down that road, you've got to look. The problem is it's not just a matter of we all go back to normal. Uh, you've got four years where you've got a lockdown more, almost as hard as we're locking down. Now, most businesses will not return to financial viability. A lot of us will spend more time under mm-hmm. restrictions that we yep. build freely. And those problems just get bigger and bigger. And bigger. No, and, and, I, so, and I see where you're coming from. And I, I do realise you have the country's best interest at heart with the plan. I just see, with respect, I see too many holes in it. And, but I do agree that the plan, if it was... If every country did it, if every country said, absolutely, let's do Jared's plan, it would work. But that's just not going to happen. If, if we accept, if the people of the DRC or the people of Sierra Leone and Liberia and Guinea had accepted that rationale, most of them would be gone. Now, you know, this is not as severe as Ebola, but certainly, you know, you cannot uh, protect care homes from this if you let it run through the population. You know, care homes are run by people. They have families. They need to shop. They need to eat. Mm-hmm. So when you slow this down and try to kind of build some kind of force field around the care facilities, the hospitals, and all these, and all our vulnerable people, you know, it's like trying to um, build your sandcastle yeah. higher to protect it against the tide. It's just all those people, you know, they need us to protect them. If you're wearing a mask, you're doing the right thing, even if you're a 19-year-old, invincible, because this one isn't about you. It's about protecting the next person that you pass it on to and the person after them. You know, if and we you, let it run, okay. sooner or later it's going to catch up with all of us. And just finally, you did say as well, um, in the, I think it was the Daily Mail yesterday, 
uh, that the government's decision to ease restrictions in, is bamboozling and that 60,000 Irish people could die from COVID-19 as a result. Um, this is due to the second wave. But should the WHO have said there won't be a second wave? Well, they're saying there won't be a second wave. Do you believe Do you believe there will be? That's not what they said. What they've told us is that the worst is still ahead of us. But, I mean, we, we heard figures from Leo Varadka when he stood in the pulpit there, whenever it was, 10 weeks ago, that even with a lockdown, 10,000 people were going to die. And this is using this empirical model, of course, that Ferguson used, and when he said 500,000 people would die, where are we getting the figure of 60,000 people will die? One point, yeah, it's simple. You don't need to get into complicated maths. 1.3% of uh, 4.8 million people. So if you go for flattening the curve, it just means you stretch out those infections fatalities over four or five years which means there's about 200,000 of us waiting for our turn in ICU Alright, well listen, thank you very much indeed Professor Gerard uh, Killeen Infectious Disease and Ecologist at UCC, uh, welcome on the air thanks very much indeed, alright Thank you very much uh, Alright, um, well lots of people are texting in uh, Pie in the Sky Ideas so he says, now let's see where he's going with this one uh, he wants to protect the economy and get us back to some level of normality uh, because obviously the government are not willing to do it um, yeah, I see where he's going with it but I do see a lot of problems with it and I think he accepts there is problems with it as well and we'd have to look iron out all those problems as you go along um, Niall, it's absolutely utter nonsense so what happens if you want to go on holidays to Spain and they don't adopt the plan well then you don't go on holidays to Spain that's basically the bottom line or you have to have a quarantine period coming back from Spain I imagine and that's what he would probably would have said to that. So countries who don't adopt the plan, which would, at the moment is the majority. Where's the list of countries? It was China. It was in there. You go to China on your holidays. New Zealand, South Korea. Iron, you know what I mean? Iceland. They're beautiful countries. You could go on your holidays. You won't be going to America. You won't be going to Spain, Portugal, other places like that. Unless, of course, they adopt the same plan. Or you want to go into quarantine for two weeks when you come back. Hmm. I don't. I just can't see it working. There you go. Anyway, I thought I'd bring it to you anyway. It's all over the papers today. Mind you, the papers did suggest that it was signed or the signatories were all qualified people. But if you look through the signatories, they're not all qualified people at all. There's like a mother with two kids, unemployed. Another one is ex-student. What does that even mean? That doesn't give you any qualifications. I mean, well, I think I'll sign it as well as a signatory and I'll put down talk show host. Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi award winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic hit.